This is the podcast for RUF at Wake Forest. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, the lost and the found, the burned and the bored, the cynical and the spiritual. Whoever you are and whatever your story, RUF exists for you. For more information, check out our Instagram at RUF Wake Forest. Now, here's today's teaching. Hi, everyone. I'm Ellie. Here is God's word for us tonight. It is trustworthy and true, and it's given to us in love. Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Judge not that you be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, will you be measured. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ellie, and it is good to be with you all tonight. My name is John Bourgeois. I'm the campus minister with RUF here at Wake, and if this is your first time joining us, we're really glad to have you here with us. Um, so a few years ago, my family was given a, a collection, a multi-volume collection of Dr. Seuss stories, and as we began to read these to our kids, uh, one story in particular uh, we grew to love that we didn't know before, it's called The Sneetches, and if you're unfamiliar with The Sneetches, this is a Dr. Seuss story um, where the Sneetches are these yellow bird-like creatures, some of whom have green stars on their bellies. And at the beginning of the story, the Sneetches with stars on their bellies, they discriminate against the Sneetches who don't have stars on their bellies. And along comes this entrepreneur named Sylvester McMonkey McBean, and he calls himself the Fix-It-Up Chappie. I think I'd call myself the Fix-It-Up Chappie too if my name was Sylvester McMonkey McBean. Well, anyways, he offers the Sneetches without stars the opportunity to get stars on his Stars On machine, which costs $3. And so the treatment is instantly popular because it upsets, or it is instantly popular, but it upsets these, the original starred Sneetches. Why? Because they're in danger of losing their special status. Well, McBean tells them about his special Star Off machine, which costs $10. And the Sneetches, who originally had stars, were happy to pay money to have their stars removed in order to remain special. Well, McBean allows the recently starred Sneetches to also go through the star off machine. And this escalates as the Sneetches run through the machine, machine after machine, going around and around in a circle. And, and this is Dr. Seuss. He says, until neither the plane nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one or that one was this one or which one was which one, or that one was who. So this continues until the Sneetches are penniless and McMonkey McBean leaves a rich man and he's amused by their foolishness. And I love this story as it captures something that we all experience, which Jesus picks up 
in this passage. So this semester we're reading the Sermon on the Mount together. And the central theme of the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus gives, is the kingdom of God. And that ties everything together. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's announcing that the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, God's presence as a king is present in Jesus Christ. As he comes, he brings the kingdom with him. This present reality that we can experience now, here and now, even even as we wait for it to come in its fullness. And this is the context in which we need to read and see the Sermon on the Mount. Here, Jesus is showing us what life in his kingdom, what life in the kingdom of God looks like. Not what we have to do to earn our way into the kingdom, but rather what happens. What happens to human lives and human communities as they live under his gracious rule. As they live in submission to him as the true king. So what happens? What does happen when individuals and communities live under the gracious rule of God? Well, they become radically different. They're turned upside down. And tonight we're going to see how Jesus turns judgment upside down. And what he says is he says, don't condemn and ask. And that's our two points for tonight. Don't condemn and ask. So first, don't condemn. When Jesus says don't judge, he's not saying don't have discernment. But he's saying do not condemn each other. This is what he's saying in verses 1 and 2. He says, judge not lest ye be judged. With the measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. If you want to know what God thinks about cancel culture, it's right here. Jesus says explicitly, if you cancel another human, God will cancel you. Now, this might sound harsh or over the top, but it reveals how much God cares about our neighbors and our own hearts. And that when we pronounce judgment on someone else, when we condemn them, we're actually putting ourselves in God's seat of judgment saying that we know better than he does. And this should give us pause. This should wake us up. This should lead us to investigate our own hearts. Why, why do we do this? Why do we cancel others? Why are our hearts so quick to condemn and judge others? Jesus asks these questions in verses 3 and 4. He says, why are we so good at naming what is wrong with others and we're so bad at seeing faults in ourselves? Why do we have such clear vision into what's wrong with what others do or say or wear or believe? but we're blind as bats as to what's worth critiquing in ourselves. Our ability to justify ourselves and condemn others is incredible. And Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't exercise wisdom in our decision-making. In fact, that's what he's talking about when he says, don't give your pearls and your holy things to pigs and dogs. He's saying, be wise, be discerning with that which is precious. But at the same time, he's saying, don't allow for your gift of discernment to grow so strong that it grows into condemnation. And we all know people who do this, people who have, for example, such great taste that they despise those who don't. All right, when I was in college, um, we used to dress up for football games. I don't think folks do this that much anymore, but we used to dress up for football games. I remember my senior year, I was at UVA at a football game. I think it was in October. And there was this college kid in the student section who was wearing a seersucker suit. And it's October. Like, he didn't know... It was October. He's wearing a seersucker suit, and I was outraged. I was disgusted. I told my friends, because, as we all know, you don't wear seersucker after Labor Day. Now, I know this is a silly example, but here's what I want you to see. My heart was so quick, so quick to cancel this random frat guy because he didn't know the rules. And it's a silly example, but it's really not because that's the operating system that's constantly running in all of our hearts. I've heard it called the law of critical gravity. 
The law of critical gravity. It's a law, meaning that it's a universal truth. It's something that's true for you regardless of where you're from or how old you are or if you're rich or if you're poor. It's a universal law. And critical gravity, it means that just as gravity is a centripetal force that draws everything to the earth, the law of critical gravity means that the human heart moves towards criticism. At rest, the human heart is falling into criticism. Now, you might not be a critical person, but this law is always at work in us. And in that we are centripetally inclined to always judge in our own favor. We have eagle eyes with the faults of others, and we're blind as bats towards our own faults. Proverbs 21.2 says that every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. I want you to imagine with me, um, imagine that when you woke up in the morning, you opened your phone and you turned on your voice memo recorder and you left it running all day. But that, rather than it recording what you said, it recorded your thoughts. And every judgment that you pronounced on a person throughout the day, every thought judgment you had about another person, Jesus is saying, that's how you will be judged. And y'all, this should slay us. This law of critical gravity is at work in all of us. Jesus is saying that if we want anything good to come out of our relationships, we must dislodge this log of criticism from our own eye, extract the log, if we want to have any hope of helping anyone with their specs. So why do we do this? Why is the law of critical gravity universal? Why, why is it that we're so quick to condemn others to cancel people? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. See, we were were designed to receive life from God and give life to others. The way that the Bible tells the story is that in the beginning, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made our first parents, Adam and Eve, in his own image. And he designed them for communion, designed us for communion, that we would live and move and have our being in him. Designed to receive every good thing from God. And our first parents, tempted by God's enemy, traded the truth about God for a lie. The lie being that God doesn't want to give you good things, and he doesn't love you. And if they wanted anything good, they'd have to go get it for themselves. So they believed this lie, and they grasped after life, eating the fruit of the tree they were told not to eat. The Bible calls this sin. And the result of their sin was shame, guilt, and fear And then when God asks them what happens, they condemn each other. Adam says, it's the woman's fault. The woman who you gave me, it's her fault. And God responds to their sin and exiles them from the garden. And the reason that the law of critical gravity is at work in our hearts, in all of our hearts, is that rather than receiving life from God and extending love to one another, we've turned in on ourselves and have been exiled from the source of life, God himself. And therefore, we're unable to love our neighbor as we're designed to do. And Jesus confronts this in us. He confronts our judginess, and he gives us a better way in his kingdom. He says, don't condemn, but ask. Jesus turns our attention from the law of critical gravity to the character of our heavenly father. And he tells us to ask, to ask and to seek and to knock, which ask, seek, knock as an acronym is A-S-K, ask. It's kind of neat that that works in English that way. Jesus says, ask, ask. Ask, seek, and knock. And his focus here is more on the grace and generosity of the Father than on our prayers. He does tell us to ask, seek, and knock, but then twice he he talks about the Father's response to our asking and seeking and knocking. He says, 
Ask, it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks will find. There's a promise there. He will find. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Here's what he's saying. He's saying it is way more about God's grace than your efforts. And then Jesus tells what I like to call the parable of the dad who doesn't prank his kids. So you may have seen this a few years ago. Jimmy Kimmel used to do this thing where he would encourage parents to trick their children on the morning after Halloween. Where he would get parents to film themselves and they would send the video in where um, they would, the kid would be at the breakfast table and they would sit down next to their child and say, uh, I've got something to tell you. I'm sorry, mom and I ate all of your Halloween candy. And like would pull out some Snickers wrappers. And then the kid would break down in anger and sadness and confusion and frustration. And then the parents would get a good laugh and all of America would get a good laugh. And um, it's horrible and really unkind to the children. And I think that we often assume that God operates this way, that he's going to be stingy or even worse, that he'll, he's going to play fast and loose with the longings of our hearts. And Jesus is saying here that your father in heaven doesn't prank you. And he says to his disciples, look, you're good dads. If your kid asks you for a fish, you're not going to sneak him a snake. And if he asks you for um, an egg, you're not going to prank him with a scorpion. And if he asks for a piece of bread, you're not going to give him a rock. And if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is saying, go to your father. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. So when Jesus tells us to ask, he's teaching us to enjoy what he has always enjoyed, the relationship that he has with his heavenly father, to enter into his father's embrace. Friends, God loves loving you. He loves embracing. He loves you embracing being loved. There are really good things in store for you when you let yourself be embraced by the father. So asking, asking, seeking, and knocking, what does this look like? How do you how do, you do this? How do you pray this? Um, here's how I've done it. I, I think it's really simple, and uh, it's, it's an encouragement from Jesus to slow down, um, to pray, ask, to, to say, Father, give me faith. Give me the good things that I need, that you know that I need. Give me Jesus. Give me your Holy Spirit. And then to seek um, this thing that's at work in us that we... The thing that we, our, our seeker, our lover, our longer, the, our heart, the way that it, we know what this feels like to long after something, to desire something, and to, to aim that towards God. To pray, God, you are nearer to me than I am to myself. Help me to find you. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14, God says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And then knock. Um, it's like on Halloween it, when you're a kid, you get dressed up in your Halloween costume. You go around the neighborhood, but you're not going to get any candy unless you knock on the door. You have to knock to get the candy. And these are just three different ways to say the same thing. Jesus is saying ask. Ask your heavenly father. He's good. And he will give you good things. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. Now, the Father doesn't promise to give you all things, but to give you good things. And his answers to our prayers are yes, no, or not yet. So if you're getting a no or a not yet, it's because he knows that it's not good for you to have that thing right now. And Jesus says, 
as you're restored to the Father, having received your good things from him, you are freed up to not condemn your neighbor, but to love him. And this is what's going on in verse 12. This therefore, so that the golden rule, whatever you would wish others do to you, do to them. Jesus is saying that the Father frees you to be creative with your love. This isn't a wooden rule that you look back on how you were treated and then apply to others, but it's rather a creative call to anticipate what others would like to be done and to initiate on their behalf. So what could this look like? What would it look like for us to be creative with how we love others? Well, what do you wish that others would do to you or do for you? Jesus is saying, go do that. And do it well. See, if the sovereign Lord of the universe is your father, the one who has all the power in the world, if he has adopted you into his forever family through faith in Jesus Christ, and he has secured your belonging in this family through the finished work of Jesus, and if he has told you to ask, and he promises to give you all good things, then what's keeping you from being creative in how you bless people? And the only rule that Jesus gives here is to do to others what you would want to do to you. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, rather than using your good taste to condemn others, to condemn your neighbor, use your good taste to bless your neighbor. So here's some ideas. First, the chaplain's fund that we mentioned earlier. This is an incredible opportunity for us to give back to the people who serve us on campus and to bless them. Um, I'm guessing a lot of you have dirty laundry right now. I remember what that was like to, to just let the pile of dirty pile up and then you wash it and then you've got a pile of clean that then becomes a pile of dirty. And then you like, what would it look like to, to bless your roommate this way and to do their laundry, do it well, to do your laundry well, but to do it well for them. Um, also people, people still don't have friends. People in RUF still don't have friends. Um, what would it look like? Uh, like if you were in their place, what would you want done for you? Open the borders of your friend group. Invite new people and make room for them. One of our values in RUF is we say there are no hot tubs in RUF. And what we mean when we say that, I've got a friend who's a pastor in San Jose, California, in Silicon Valley. And he says that when people move to Silicon Valley, friendship is at such a premium. It's such a, a, a um, scarce good that people will find their six other people and clamp down and say, these are our people. And it's like a hot tub, right? Well, a hot tub is full and no more people can get in. And, and what, what, when we say that there are no hot tubs in RUF, what we mean is there aren't any closed friends groups. That, that Jesus does not close off um, access to his father, but op- spreads it wide. Any who would come to him are welcome to come. And so the same is true uh, for our groups. So um, open the doors. Open the door to your, your friend group. Invite new people in. Um, what would you want done to you if you were lonely in this semester? And just thinking, what are the ways that, that RUF could use our good taste not to condemn this campus, but to bless it? What would it look like for us to be so connected to our Heavenly Father in prayer, asking and receiving good things from him, that our life together would overflow with love and blessing to those who least expect it? Question for you to consider, who doesn't expect to be loved by us? Who doesn't expect to be loved by Christians on campus? And what would it look like for you to be creative and generous with how you love them?
I heard a story last year about a preacher named Tony Campolo, and he uh, was, he's from the East Coast, and he was preaching in Honolulu, Hawaii, and because of the time difference, he woke up, uh, he was at a conference, and he woke up in his hotel room at 3 a.m., and he couldn't go back to sleep, so he went down outside to a diner that was near the hotel, and he sat down at the counter and ordered a cup of coffee and a donut, and around 3.30, this group of eight or nine women who um, were uh, working the streets, they came in and they started talking. And there's no one else in the diner, so all Tony can do is overhear what they're saying. And one of the women mentions that it's her birthday the next day. And he learns that her name is Agnes, and she's turning 39, and that she has never had a birthday party in her life. And Tony Campolo says that something snapped in him. And so these women left the diner, and Tony turned to the owner, and he said, Hey, are these regulars here? And the owner said, Yeah, they come in here every night about the same time. And Tony said, what do you say we decorate this place and throw a surprise party for Agnes tomorrow night here in the diner? Now, the owner thought it was a great idea, and he said that he would bake the cake. And so the next night, Tony Campolo comes, and he, he decorates the diner with streamers and balloons and this huge sign that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And the owner gets the word out on the street. So around 3 a.m. in the morning, about every prostitute in Honolulu is in this diner. And Tony Campolo, when he tells the story, he said it was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. And so Agnes walks in, and everyone yells, happy birthday, Agnes. And they start singing, and the owner of the diner brings out this cake to her with her name on it, with candles. And then he says, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. And she says, I can't cut the cake. I've never had a cake before. I need to go show my mom. And so she takes the cake, and she leaves the diner. And they're all just kind of left there in that awkwardness. And so Tony says, in the midst of the awkward silence, he says, well, what do you say we pray? And so he prays. He prays for Agnes. He prays for the women. And then when he finishes, the owner leans over the counter and says to him, he says, I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you preach in? And Tony Campolo says that it was one of those moments when the Holy Spirit gave him just the right words. And he said, I preach in the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And the owner of the diner says, no, you don't. No, you don't. I would go to a church like that. And Tony Campolo said, yeah, wouldn't we all? You know, that's what Jesus is talking about. When, when you know the love of God the Father and you receive your good things from him, he frees you up to be creative in the way that you love others. And friends, that is needed right now more than it has ever been. I mean, how are we doing? Look at the landscape. As this election shakes out, I mean, can you imagine... Republicans throwing a victory party for Democrats or Democrats throwing a victory party for Republicans? Like they would never do this, but, but this is the beauty of life with Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't condemn. The law of critical gravity wasn't at work in his heart. His love was perfect, perfectly loving the outsider and the guy who wore a seersucker suit after Labor Day and the idiot college kid who judged him and the prostitute on her birthday and the Republican and the Democrat and you. And not only did he not condemn, but in his perfect love, he took the condemnation that we deserve because of our sin. He lived the life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we deserve so that he could give us life in himself. On the cross, he took our voice memo recording, thought recorder, and he gave us his. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Why? 
Why did he do this? So that he could give us to the Father in love. The Father gave Jesus to us so that Jesus could wash us clean, bring us to life, and give us back. So that we could extend this love to our neighbors with all of the creativity we could muster. That the king of the kingdom would receive the glory now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for these words that you know us. You know our hearts. You know how quick we are to condemn others. And you and your goodness have given us the Father that we might have all that we need from him so that we might be creative in the way we love others. And Lord, I pray for my friends tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a community, that this would seep into our bones. Um, Lord, that we would draw near to you, that we'd learn how to pray. Lord, that we would learn how to ask to receive good things from you so that they might flow through us to our neighbors in love, that you would receive the glory. Amen. I'm going to hear the benediction. And the benediction is the good word, the good word from God that he speaks over us in love. So know this, that you have a king in heaven who loves you and he reigns over you with his love and grace. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of his son, our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and go with you until that great day. Have a great week.